Welcome to the Rolling Stones Studs, a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion, hosted by your own bad boys. It's Pete. And it's PJ. Oh my gosh, it's PJ. Ugh. It couldn't it, be more PJ. It couldn't. It's yeah. I'm incorrigible, if anything. <laughs> oh yeah. That incorrigible the incorrigible PJ. That's what uh it says on my gravestone. That's going to be the title of your solo podcast when you branch out when we're done with the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Actually, well, it's in the middle of this show. You're going to branch out on a solo career and start a podcast called The Incorrigible PJ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to try and one-up me, but then it's actually it's going to do really badly, and you're going to have to come back to the group full of shame. Yeah. Like so many men before me. <laughs> yeah trying to branch out do your own thing everyone hates it and no one buys it yeah. and you just have to go back to you know yeah the you know and what we're talking about is oats from hall and oats garfunkel from simon and garfunkel mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. bill from the rolling stones <laughs> right right yeah yeah which i think he had a solo album in like 1975 or something which it it is very funny we're gonna talk about Obviously, obviously, we're foreshadowing Mix and Keith's solo albums that are going right, to come out right. during the time period we're talking about today. But it is very funny that like Mick doing a solo album almost broke up the band, and then Bill had like three in the late seventies, and everyone's yeah. just like, "It's fine, whatever, Bill. If he gets yeah. popular and leaves, we're good." Also, here's the thing: <laughs> won't kill us. <laughs> I, of all of the Rolling Stones, the one I want to hear the least from is fucking Bill Wyman. Jesus Christ. It's pretty wild that he was not only, like, the first person to do a solo stuff, but then also, like, he did more than one album. Like, just who? Seemingly I know the, the 70s were yeah. weird with music, so, like, the Rolling Stones bassist isn't the craziest person to have a bit of a solo career, but it's just wild that any record exec was interested. Yeah, I mean... Cocaine, man. Uh, <laughs> it made a big difference, sure. And, you know, it's like, I also don't really care about Ringo's career, but some people like it. I don't know anybody who's been like, Bill Wyman, he he put out some (laughs) good albums. Yeah, Sirius XM doesn't play any (laughs) Bill Wyman solo shit. I think even on the Rolling Stones channel, I can't imagine that they would... They would you, deign to play any Bill Wyman solo songs. You know, we should get our own Sirius XM show that's called yeah. uh, Solos on 66, where we just uh, talk about, you know, members of famous bands who had yeah. pretty okay solo yeah, careers. Yeah, yeah. The least successful solo careers yeah. of all time. Yeah. So, you know, we none of the Beatles, uh, but all of the people that no. we named just now, yeah, including basically. any of the Rolling Stones who had an album out. Yeah, yeah. Ex- except for Keith's new one, because apparently people like that. Yeah, it is interesting when full bands like can't do the solo thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Although Keith's was apparently his one from the '80s was apparently pretty well received. It's just that wasn't he didn't really want to do solo stuff. He wanted to be in the Rolling Stones. So once they got like back yeah. together, he was just fine doing that. But, right, and then they made two albums where they gave him way too much time. <clears throat> Yeah, well, we'll get to it though. They made, they did a lot of, a lot of things. PJ, let's just put it that way. They did do a lot of things. Um, yeah, this. Uh, also, sh- should we talk about our last episode? Uh, 
Yeah, let's bring it up just because it's just a I case. doubt it's going to come out before this episode, given yeah. the status of things. So we have, I mean, I, to be honest, it's amazing that this hasn't happened yet in some form or another. This is the first time, yeah. In... The first time we have failed to secure the recording after we we're done, like yeah. the recording file. And uh, in so... two years, two years of this, po- three years? Yeah, three years. Three years of this podcast, the and first like, time. A lot of episodes, dozens of episodes. The first time either of us have fucked up, and it was me <laughs> xing out of my uh, my audio program for no reason at all. I don't know why I was closing out before I'd even started saving the file or anything. It was a real weird moment. Uh, hitting the X, and then when it asked me, "Are you sure you want to sa- quit without saving?" I went, "Yeah, hell yeah, of course I do." <laughs> why else would I be exiting? Stupid computer. Yeah. So if anyone out there knows how to compile like recovered uh boy i i've been i've been skirting around what file or what program i actually use because it's a little embarrassing for someone who has like a podcast to just be using the the free shit but if anyone there knows how to recover and snip back together audacity files then reach out because we've we've got them we've recovered them kind of we don't know what the fuck to do with them yeah uh they are of the strangest file type so if you know if you're like an audacity wizard that would be great it'd be really nice because google so far has not been our friend so someday someday the uh undercover episode will come out and you know i feel like it's fitting that undercover of all albums would be the lost episode because yeah well, hopefully it'll it'll engender some you know some people wanting to hear it, which otherwise yeah feels like a skip, right? Exactly, right? I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of no no hit off that one. No, that I mean nothing nothing really worth talking about. But no, I mean we we say that, but actually the albums today are definitely worse. So I don't know, it's rough. That's true. I did. I have a question for you that's going to come up a little bit later. Um, okay. But I I'm suppose excited. I can I can ask it about Undercover. Had you heard any of the songs on Undercover before you listened to it? Boy, that's a good question. Let me check my Rolling Stones best of, which heretofore has been the only Rolling Stones I'd ever heard before this podcast. Yeah. And check. I feel like Undercover might have been on there. Undercover seemed very, very vaguely familiar to me. The song or Undercover of the Night, I think, is the technical yeah, title of that. Let's see, Gur Disc Two. It does have Undercover of the Night on it. Oh my God! Why is Happy so out of order? That's confusing. Hmm. For some reason, they have Happy. Af- like in the eighties as a, anyway, doesn't matter. Undercover of the Night is on there, so I've probably heard it like once. That sounds yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then from today we have Harlem Shuffle and Mixed Emotions are uh I am shocked on this one. So I've any, heard those ones. Any song from either of these albums made it onto Gur. I don't know. Harlem Shuffle I was aware of, weirdly. Um I think I was actually just aware of because I'm pretty sure I tried to look up Dancing in the Street once and somehow got to Harlem Shuffle instead. Ah. Um big mistake. Like, just yeah but just being like both 80s you know rolling stone songs that yeah are yeah very odd <laughs> that they ever got made so i'm pretty sure i'd heard harlem shuffle before and then we'll talk about it but people really like steel wheels so to 
to like the Rolling Stones wow. credit, I guess on their best of, they understood that and at least threw threw one on there. Interesting. Man, we so, started early with the Stones talk, Pete. You know, honestly, it feels weird. We we used to do this all the time with the Beach Boys, I feel like, where we would start talking about the actual music and album so much earlier. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and we kind of are today just because um, there's actually like quite a bit to talk about. Um, not about the music, but about no. like the Rolling Stones no. lives and what's going on with the band during... We're going to talk about the... the the second half of the 80s with them so about 86 through 1989 and uh it's quite a bit quite a bit to go over yeah yeah um do we want to start with just getting a little taste of whatever whatever uh, Mick Jagger's solo material sounds like because yeah. I'll, I'll confess, I barely made it through the albums this week because that was a rough hang, and I didn't even get True. to listening to either of the solo albums that we're talking about today either. So let's uh, do a little hit of Solo Keith and Solo Mick. Let's Okay, what was the Mick album? So the Mick, Mick's lead single off his first solo album was a song called Just Another Night from the album She's the Boss. What's oh, wow. I'm all right. <laughs> okay holy shit have you seen the album cover yeah it's something else was this written for a cop movie I guess You know, I love, I or I know that, that Mick is an iconic rock vocalist, but it kind of sounds like it's just a studio guy doing the vocals, and they're like, the singer's going to sing it later, but just put, throw him down so we kind of know what's going on with the track yeah. in the studio. My <laughs> thought was, it's great, because we, uh, we listened to that song he did a few months ago with uh, Dave Grohl, as yes. a, what I assume is a 120-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds exactly the same. So he's, I mean, he's consistent since the 80s, at least. Yeah. Well, I can see why this flopped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's maybe give, what was his his single off his second album? Let's see, the second album <laughs> with the greatest, one of the greatest names of all time, Primitive Cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's Work was the single off Primitive Cool. Oh, apparently Just Another Night was did better than Let's Work. Interesting. Holy shit, this album cover is buck wild too in such a different yeah. way. Yeah. Okay, so he definitely, you know, is in the 80s. Sounds like he's been listening to a lot of Phil Collins. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that, yeah, he was hanging out with Bowie a lot in this era and leaning into that kind of uh that kind of sound see wow just another night went to number one in the u.s oh just on the rock charts it went to number 12 on the hot 100 i mean this This also just sounds like an 80s movie soundtrack song but it's better than the other one that's true 
I'm kind of into this as far as like 80s Mick Jagger goes. Yeah, it's better. It's definitely more listenable. I was expecting it to be worse, so. Right. Oh. Yeah, this is kind of good. <laughs> it's At the very least, it's not bad. No, I mean, it's... Man, those Phil Collins influences, you are not joking about. No. <laughs> this is this is a seaside off the uh, Tarzan soundtrack yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, what if the what if the gorillas start singing this though, Phil? Like, and then they all come in on the course yeah. and go na 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 na. Because they eat banana nanas. <laughs> um, that's not bad. No, that's far from far from the worst solo single. Could've oh, had. yeah. Let's check out a. Uh, okay, so then Keith's uh, is "Take It So Hard" is the first single off his record. Talk is cheap. I'm gonna guess this has a lot less echo drums. Yeah, they're just recorded in like a stairwell, but they're not. You yeah. Know, Good piano. Yeah, true. It's it's kind of good. I mean, it's it's more intriguing than most of the songs on both Rolling Stones albums we're talking about. That's true. Um You know, this is like um he is uh, the Peter Gabriel to Phil Collins or to huh. uh, Mick Jagger's Phil Collins. Like, yeah, I can I can dig that. <laughs> if they were both produced a little bit differently, they would be the yeah. same song. Yeah. Well, I mean, Imagine I think if it was <laughs> Mick was singing on this. It would have just been a pretty good Rolling Stone song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we can definitely confirm. We'll talk about it later, but I think at one point Keith accuses Mick of saving all his good songs for his solo project. And I think we can confirm both of these guys did that. Yeah. <laughs> Just like these aren't special at all, but uh, they're miles better than oh, either of the either of the other albums. And here's the thing. I don't know if this is actually good or if I'm just I've just been listening to these two albums too huh. much. No, I don't think they're actually good. Okay. But, yeah, I mm. mean... Maybe that second Mick song. Maybe the second Mick one. It, it it bears some more listening, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's... You know what, PJ? Fuck it. Let's just roll right into it, man. Let's get into it. We're talking... So, the first album we're talking through today is... We're doing a rare back-to-back, uh, -back, which uh, we haven't done since those latter-era Beach Boys days. Yeah. Oh no, we did it for one of the early. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. That's our that's our whole thing. We do it for the early albums and the late albums, and uh, you know, so far it's been a good decision every time. Yeah, I think so. I I got a little worried about this one just because Steel Wheels is supposed to be good. It's one of those uh, latter era Stones albums that be mean. Like, like people like it, which yeah, like it was fairly well reviewed at the time. It sold pretty well. 
it's got like a good amount of support now when people you know when you just do a little bit of google research on this album it's got like you know at least three quarters of the people have positive things to say about it that is buck wild to me because yeah same of this album so but yeah so i was a little worried that steel wheels was going to deserve its own episode but we're good (laughs) you know there's also a matter of i'm just fucking sick of the rolling stones at this point yeah i get it i'm so over these guys you know what? They did remaster it in 2009, both of these albums. Maybe yeah. the unremastered version is really good. Oh, maybe. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That vinyl warmth just yeah. really. Or maybe the 8-track. The 8-track version was the version to get. Yeah. Anything anything that's, you know, cartridge-based, I think, mm. has the highest sound quality. Yeah, I think so. You have to blow in and then jam into a slot. Yeah. Just like yeah. my take wife. It, take it so hard uh so dirty work we are very much in the midst of the band's struggles here in 1985 well appropriate name then huh yeah right i know well and then also because it's kind of shit music you know that's true um so charlie is hit or miss uh because of his drug use uh, as we've talked about uh and then keith and mick are getting more and more at odds over the direction of the band. And then Bill is kind of fading in his involvement. Um, it's probably the best way to say it. He, he does end up leaving the band in a few years. Um, and he just said, basically he just gets tired of it. Yeah. He's just done with the grind of touring and practicing and studio time. And so makes sense. He, especially during the dirty work sessions, uh, when, hardly any of the band is showing up regularly he does not show up regularly at all either yeah um so this is definitely a stones album where hardly any of them are in the studio at the same time they all show up individually or in pairs or something to you know record some stuff and then leave so work for the beatles eh, doesn't work for dirty work no it does not um <laughs> yeah. uh wow. dirty works also well i think the, the last... difference is like oh yeah <laughs> creativeness and uh, sure yeah 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 just overall talent level (laughs) talent yeah yeah uh yeah huh uh so dirty work is the last album to feature ian stewart oh yeah we don't get any uh, more stewie after this huh no he dies holy shortly shortly before the album is released from a heart attack he's only 47 at the time oh wow yeah yeah so um that apparently also contributed to a lot of the band's struggles post-Dirty Work, because uh, Keith said that Ian Stewart was a lot more of a like glue guy, especially in the studio, uh, than most people realized from the outside. So he said it really affected the band. And like, yet they never let him in the hard fucking band. I know, right? He was so he was so important to us. We just couldn't even go on when he died. But pay him for his contributions, make him an official. No, 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 no. We might as well just get Ronald Donald in here. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck. Maybe do you think maybe if he had not died, they would have done what they did with Ronald Donald and like, you know, eventually let him in like forty years later? Yeah, actually, especially because once Bill leaves, then they like officially induct Ron. But yeah. I bet if Ian Stewart was still alive, they would have officially inducted him maybe before okay. Ron, just okay. for longevity's sake. But okay. I don't know, maybe yeah. not. You never um, know. Yeah, this album had a lot of guest musicians too, uh, which I think it seems like is 
attributed to their level of dis- dysfunction when they're showing up, you know, just by themselves or just like, you know, Charlie and Keith are showing up and bringing friends with them. And so, again, kind of like the latter era Beatles, they're showing up with famous friends who then play a little bit on a song. And yeah, because um, there isn't, you know, another guitar player around or whatever. So uh, we have, let's see, among the famous guest musicians, we have Chuck Leavell, who ends up actually playing on like a few Rolling Stones albums from here on out. He's originally mm-hmm. was an Allman Brothers, um, I believe he's a piano player. Okay. Um, he was originally with the Allman Brothers, though. And then Jimmy Page shows up to wail around a little bit, which prime era Jimmy Page they got here for sure. Yeah. If anyone remembers the uh, the Beach Boys Boys episode where Jimmy Page plays live with them at whatever concert that was, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was around the same. That was in the same like few years as this, right? That was like mid to late '80s. Yeah, and what happened? With they the cut him off, right? They cut him off because he was just wailing too hard and like over. Like they came back to the chorus after his solo was over, and he just kept going. <laughs> cool that's awesome he was because he was so out of it yeah um let's see they got bobby womack also on this so um yeah so a few a few interesting people showing up they also didn't end up going on tour for this album um that makes sense yeah which i totally understandable part of it was that they weren't getting along um mick well keith partially attributed it to to ian dine um ian stewart dine where Mm -hmm. they just didn't really want to tour i guess without him um mick also said later that because of charlie's drug use they didn't feel like they could go on tour um and so and so mick just went to go start working on a second solo album uh, of instead of touring, which then Keith took really personally. Um, I think we might get to a quote later from Keith that digs into this a little bit more, but Keith very much felt like Mick just vetoed the tours so that he could go do a solo stuff instead yeah. of you know being invested in the Stones. So, can we go back to the uh, people featured on this album real quick? Yeah, yeah. This is Dirty Work is the album that has uh, Beverly D'Angelo and Tom Waits, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. oh, yeah. So they did have some guest vocalists here too, which is a crazier list than honestly the guests. Although you know, Jimmy Page and Bobby Womack are a wild yeah. pair of people to be on a <laughs> 1986 Rolling Stones. That's record. true. But, but Beverly D'Angelo is so out of yeah, left field. Beverly D'Angelo just really doesn't even make sense. I was she I just put around? in my notes. This might be a Ringo Starr situation. If you remember from the earlier Rolling Stone studs days. When Wiki- someone on Wikipedia pulled a little prank on us by yeah. putting Ringo Starr in the like guest musicians on some album, right? I do remember that, and it definitely wasn't true. So yeah. I'm like, I wonder if Beverly D'Angelo, because I had to double check who she was, and I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah, I know that person. She's just an actor. Like yeah. she never sang or did anything musical. No, in, she was in as the, far as I can tell in her life, vacation so. movies, and that was pretty much all she did. Yeah. It seems like. So I have no idea why that's there. Maybe one of the Stones was like was having sex with her and they just brought her by and she was like yeah i'll sing back up why not that sounds like a stones thing yeah um so they also had don covey as a guest vocalist who sharp-eared stones uh rolling stone studs listeners will remember 
was the writer of early stones cover mercy mercy one of our favorites from way back in the day yeah so he shows up to sing some backing vocals fucking jimmy cliff sings backing vocals yeah jimmy cliff that is insane (laughs) yeah and then tom waits which again is like i guess that might be (laughs) just a weird someone having fun with editing but it's also kind of believable somehow right i don't know that he would just be hanging around tom Um, waits like how old even is tom waits at this point uh i think probably in his 40s only he was born oh wow he's really old i didn't realize he was that old he was born in 49 so yeah he's definitely around then yeah um um wow (laughs) i heard that tom waits was just a really big fan of uh some girls oh really so he yeah. wanted to he wanted to join him in the studio. Yeah, and he, I have a secret. Um, it's it's pretty uh, rare. Uh, yeah. Audio of Tom uh, Tom Waits covering the Rolling Stones. <laughs> what? Yeah, isn't that? Wow, I had no idea. So you heard it here first, folks. Um, this is Tom Waits singing "Beast of Burden." So excited. Then he slowed it down, you know, made it his own. Never be your beast of burden. (laughs) My back is broad, but uh, (laughs) it's a hurting. All I want is for you to make love to me. I gotta say, I mean, that sounds, that's really good. I'm surprised Tom Waits didn't release that. That's, I know, it's, that's a good Rolling Stones cover. It's quality. And (laughs) I, uh, that that really fits his style, actually, and like, kind of feels right. Like, feels like that should have come out, you know? I know, that's, it's, it's it's, crazy. But it's, it's rare audio. Um, please do not steal it and put it on YouTube because that just ruins it for everybody. Although, hey, maybe someone will just take that clip, put it up on YouTube, and then Old Crow Medicine Show will make a hit song out of it. There you go, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, Dirty Word. 
You know what? That's the, uh, that alone is more interesting than almost anything. <laughs> work, so, yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah. So Mick, like we were talking about, left, uh, shot the tour in the foot so that he could go work on his solo career. And um, so his first solo album had come out right before Dirty Work. She's the boss in 1985. Terrible and, name uh, for an album. Terrible name. Oh, pretty much all of it's terrible. Yeah, um, nothing about it's good. Yeah, so. and then Keith once again uh, was hurt and offended because Mick wasn't fully invested with the Stones and was abandoning them. Which, to be fair to Mick, pretty good time to jump ship from. Yeah, the I stuff. totally get it. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Like, yeah. Not a bad idea to get out of this band in 1985. <laughs> it's, it's not a lot great going on. Yeah, I yeah. I think. Uh, Whenever the moment, you know, the photo shoot where they took the album cover for Dirty Work, that's when you leave. That's when yeah. you're like, I should get yeah. the fuck out of here. This is maybe not, yeah, not yeah. not my place anymore. Yeah. So in Mick, or in 1989, Mick said, it certainly wasn't a great Rolling Stones album. The feeling inside the band was very bad, too. The relationships were terrible. The health was diabolical. I wasn't in good shape. The rest of the band, they couldn't walk across the road. Or walk across the street, much less go on the road. So we had this bad experience of making that record, and the last thing I wanted to do was spend another year with the same people. I just wanted out. If we had gone out after Dirty Work, we'd have never finished the tour, which would have been the end of the band. So Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah. Um. So during recording, to help them, you know, get through all this, uh, they bring in an outside producer, which we... Oh, I was going to say we teased on our last episode, but that episode might not ever exist. So, Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, they bring in a for their first time really since Jimmy Miller, but I don't think he was even famous at the time. So maybe their first like big name outside producer. Yeah. Uh, they work with Steve Lillywhite on Dirty Work. Um, um if if that last album never comes out, can't tell. Can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Um so, yeah, which they really had never worked with, like, a, you know, famous uh, outside producer. And especially lately, as we've talked about recently, they've just been the Glimmer Twins up until the last couple where they worked with Chris Kimsey, who was basically already a, like, member of their production team. So it wasn't exactly yeah. some new influence. Um, right. Yeah. In their review of the album, Rolling Stone Magazine, not the band, Rolling Stone Magazine. Um, it's so confusing chalks up their the steve lillywhite choice to being uh part of their new contract with cbs um they they list like the mtv style album cover of them all in like neon pants on a pink couch or whatever um it's their first album with lyric sheets and then their first album with this big name producer um as being yeah uh as being a part of their their new contract. Um, I guess that makes sense that uh, them getting Steve Lillywhite is just because of CBS. I don't know how, like, you said that was the thought, like the theory was that it was that, because yeah. of CBS. I don't contract. know if anyone in the band has ever confirmed that. But. Okay. It would make a lot of sense because I feel like if it was up to them, like I'm sure they like working with the producer and everything, but... I'm sure they would have just kept doing their same thing and, you know, getting paid. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and like, you know, they were willing to 
obviously it's the stones they're willing to sell out by themselves they don't need cbs to help them sell out um no. and make like a mass-produced product not like fender guitars am i right yeah well you know we talked about i on undercover which you know uh again people won't have known but they had like three or four uh music videos for the album as a push to like get onto mtv and stuff so um they definitely are aware of that as a thing so it could have been you know somewhat the stones but yeah yeah so Um, rolling stone has a great quote that it feels like it was made on a deadline and maybe it was you know again in reference to cbs putting the putting the hammer down on the rolling stones um speaking of rolling stone the magazine not rolling stone the band um i have a board game that my girlfriend bought me called uh rolling stone the board game Mm-hmm. And I, she was talking about it. She was like, oh, it's that game that you say nobody will play with you. I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, I don't have many friends who would play that with me. She's like, yeah, I mean, it's a board game based on the Rolling Stones. It's like, <laughs> no, no, babe. You know what? Honestly, even worse. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was funny that uh, for her, I do have to go the magazine, not the band. Anytime yeah. I talk about either one of them. <laughs> That's pretty funny. What's the, is that basically just like bocce ball? Like you're just rolling stones toward each other? Yeah, exactly. Um, That's cool. um, Yeah. You know, just a yard game. Yard game in general. Well, so the stone, there's stones, you know, you get rolling stone. And then the the bocce, uh, like the cue ball, the little white one that you're throwing towards. It's a toss, yeah. That's a little baggie of cocaine that Jan Winter paid uh, someone as a bonus in 1982. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they had enough to go around to make millions mm-hmm. of of these uh oh yeah these games yeah so dirty work uh released march 1986 it went to number four on both the u.s and uk charts what the uh, fuck yeah harlem shuffle the lead single uh went to number five in the u.s and number 13 in the uk um so on this album there were only three songs credited to just mick and keith uh, which is the fewest on any Stones album since like their third or fourth one when they were still doing a ton of covers. Um, there's quite a few credited to like Mick Keith and Ron Wood or Mick Keith and Charlie or something, but um, still just just three credited to just those two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you want to get into the track by track, and by get into, I mean get it over with. Yeah, I do. Um, and you know, you usually have fun facts about the songs, and this time, I have a few <laughs> yeah. fun facts about all the songs. So. Oh, that's good because I couldn't find much to say about these songs at all. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I th- the only thing to say about them is fun facts. So sure. Uh, so this is one hit to the body. Um, this is the one where Jimmy Page is supposedly playing. Is he playing a 12-string acoustic? He is just credited as electric guitar on one hit to the body. That's all we got. I would maybe listen for some solo action. Mm. You know, along with kind of what we talked about for Mick and Keith's solo albums... This sounds like, uh, you, oh, here's my fun fact about this album. This was originally written as, uh, as the uh, end credit scene to a buddy cop movie that has a oh, really sure. unsatisfying ending. Yeah. 
That makes some sense. Yeah, I can hear yeah. that. Um. Yeah, this this song's not really interesting in any way, shape, or form. No, not at all. <laughs> the only interesting thing is that it was written for the movie One Hit, featuring Jean Claude Van Damme, <laughs> and that Jimmy Page is on it. Yeah. Gotta well, Jimmy admit, Page is the other buddy cop in the movie, oh, so it kind of makes oh, sense. Oh, interesting. Wow, that's a real trip of a movie, man. Yeah. Some people think it's cheesy and cliche. I think sure. it's art. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, truly the worst way to open an album. It's it's really bad. I it's, mean, yeah. I don't know if I can find anything positive, and I'm not going to try that hard. Here's one thing that's positive. The sure. music starting out exactly matches the cover <laughs> so they have that going True. for them you know oh yeah we for. we could talk about the cover just real quick so it's all of them in oh i i guess i was gonna say they're all in red jackets but they aren't because charlie's not for some reason but yeah, okay so they're on like don't a weird conform. bright green couch and keith's sitting on it and then the rest of them are just they all were just told to get a limb on the couch Touching but no it, other yeah. part of their body so like bill's got an arm on it ron's got like his leg on it. Mick is laying on the ground with like his shin, his ankle up on it for some reason. And then Charlie's leaning on it. And they just, I actually don't think it's that bad of an album cover except just for the color choices. The like color choices are bright, bad. Pastel. The, the staging neon, is bad too, I think. Not pastel, neon. Like yeah. it, if they were wearing suits in this, it would be the same to me where it's like, this is bad. <laughs> I think if they were wearing suits and it was like a serious, like, <laughs> like a nice leather couch and they were all in like dark blue three-piece suits, I would be more intrigued with this stage. Like, it would at least be interesting. <laughs> You'd be like, what do they mean by it? Whereas Dirty Work just is like, oh, they just like fell out of a paint bucket. Got it. Yeah. Damn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks like a fucking Jazzercise uh, VHS. It's Yeah, it's bad. It's. I have to say, though, I do think it is still... Or I think it's not the worst. I still think Black and Blue is the worst album cover that they've done. Or at least I personally. Black and Blue is... Hate Black and Blue more. That's the one where not Keith's good. yelling in yeah. Mick's ear or whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. not good either. No. Okay. Uh, next song. Right. Let's Fight. Get the, let's get the hell out of here. Okay, so these first two are Jagger Richards Wood compositions. If anyone's interested... It's so weird. They managed to totally get 80s drums without making them sound like 80s drums. I, like, I don't understand what production Steve Lillywhite did, but he did something where it's like it's not super echoey and like like it's not the classic 80s drums, but they still made it sound super 80s. Yeah. I don't know. That is impressive. Good job, Lillywhite. Because it's not great. Um, although they have fixed their guitar tone problems on this album, which, thank God, it was right on time for some of their worst music they've ever yeah, made. <laughs> right? They finally get a little overdrive and distortion happening. And Do you think yeah. Jimmy Page came in and he was like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> guys, what is this clean tone shit? No, I think by 1986, Jimmy Page was happily playing clean tone electric guitar. Yeah, that could be. He already kind of was at the, end of the, at the end of the Zeppelin era. So. Yeah, but he made it sound good. Well, he's a good guitar player. Yeah, that's a good dif- yeah, big difference too. Which I think we've talked a lot about Keith and Ron recently and some good, some bad, but 
I'm prepared to shit all over them on these two albums because they are god awful, just yeah. over and over and over again. Do you think they broke their fingers before they recorded these albums? Well, it's weird. On Dirty Work, it's like they forgot to play anything except chords. They didn't know what to play yeah. that weren't chords. And as I say that, there's a guitar solo, but yeah. And then on Steel Wheels, it's like all they could do was mindless noodling, and you know, it's yeah, it's really not great. Um, this is where we like start to get into the Keith only yelling. He doesn't yeah. really, not Keith. I'm sorry, Mick only yelling. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. sing anymore. He just screams every song. Yeah, he really is. It's. It's a very weird thing about this album. It feels super aggro and just like he's trying to, yeah, yell his way through the whole thing. But then it's like these weird, like, schlocky 80s, yeah, like, everything else. It makes no sense. Let's, uh, let's... Harlem <laughs> Shuffle. <laughs> yeah. You heard that, right? I mean, so far it's good just because you're like, oh, it's an interesting rhythm and yeah. groove to a song compared to those other ones. And then you realize it's Harlem Shuffle and you're like, why the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's a here's my fun fact about this song. Oh, yeah. N- none of them have actually ever been to Harlem. Still no. to this day. Yeah. I think, here's my thought. After that James Bond movie came out that was set in Harlem, <laughs> which one was that? Live and Let Die. After Live and Let Die came out, Mick saw it and was like super intrigued. And so he told his limo driver to drive him through Harlem and they got like two blocks in and he was like, never mind, I'm out. I'm Turn out. around. I'm out. Yeah, let's yeah. uh <laughs> And they like they didn't even really take him to Harlem, they took him to like downtown yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other hand though, Charlie has been frequenting Harlem jazz clubs for decades at this point and yeah. loved and accepted. Um. (laughs) it's really a bad cover the fact that it was like a decent hit for them is truly wild because here's the thing Harlem Shuffle is a good song so like a competent cover it makes sense it could be a hit just because it's a good song but the Stones it's I it it's only because it's the stones like their version of it is not interesting it does nothing new it's not even intriguing because it sounds like the stones because it's like the worst version of the stones covering it yeah it's really bad do you think um i wish that you remember when there was that trend on i want to say facebook or vine or something back in the day sure yeah this is a long time ago uh there was a song that was like, do the Harlem Shuffle. And then everything would like freeze. Okay. I don't remember this, but I believe you. Yeah, never mind. I went into this bit not knowing enough about it. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Let's Google it real quick. Every short form video app I have somehow missed out on from Vine to Snapchat to TikTok. I just have never been on any of them. So, You know, it was Harlem Shake, not Harlem Shuffle. Mm. And uh, people didn't freeze. They would uh, do weird things when the beat dropped. Okay. But I, what I was going to posit is what if they used this song instead? Yeah. It would be maybe funnier. Yeah, it would also be one so. of those things that would inspire a million articles on blogs of like 11-year-olds only know the Rolling Stones from this weird TikTok trend. 
And from all of the shirts they buy at Rue 21. Yeah, true. They're like, that's the same band? This weird they have no lips, idea. Holy this shit. This lips blowing a raspberry thing is a band? Can we please move on? Yeah. <laughs> Hold back. Oh, yeah. I wish they would have. Oh, <laughs> well, it seems like they did a little bit. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is one of the worst vocal <laughs> takes. Yeah, this song, interestingly, my interesting fact about this song is it has the Guinness World Record for feeling like you're listening to the longest song in the world. It's not the longest song in the world, but it certainly feels like it. I think we're in a Rolling Stones era, really from black and blue to now, where every album, we've talked about it a few times, every single album we get to track like seven and I'm like, how, God, how can there be more songs on this yeah. album? It feels like I've been listening for 45 minutes already. Um, so I hear you on the longest song ever made. <laughs> it's so bad. And yeah, the worst vocal take. The thing that confuses me about it, so there's a bunch of, I don't know vocal terms, even though, yes, I was in varsity choir in high school. No, I did not letter for it. Um he does a bunch of the eh, like kind of vocal like whatever that would be called a vocal thing where the note goes down really fast or there's a few notes going down really fast um so like every single line ends in one of those little like you know down ticks but he can't actually sing it he can sing it about as well as i just tried to but it's uh, like mick instead of doing that you can just end it on one note like you don't have to sing it that way so, like, he wrote a vocal line he wasn't even willing to fucking sing. Yeah. Which just shows, I think, the level of, like, commitment we're at right now with the Rolling Stones. Yeah. It's what? like if Keith wrote a guitar lick that then halfway through every time he plays it, he just kind of bails out on it. Yeah. It's like I that level of laziness where he's like, I'm going to write it and commit it to record, but I'm not actually going to yeah. do the whole thing. Well, I mean, they are holding back. <laughs> um, uh, a vocal t run. It's called a run. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Thank right, you. I think song. this has come up on Beach Boys Boys too. Yeah. Too rude. Oh my god! Finally, we get to the reggae song. <laughs> finally, we get to the reggae song. <laughs> I'm hitting my head against the microphone. I have nothing better to hit my head against. <laughs> Is this the one Jimmy Cliff is on? I hope not. <laughs> That's just offensive. This whole song is offensive, Peter. The first of many mistakes that they gave Keith the vocal uh, to. Yeah, I will say I like the snare thing the like weird snare echo that's happening that's a yeah. cool effect i but that's the only thing you know this song i think set back progressive politics 20 years how did the stones go from being a band that without fail on every single album had to have like an eight bar blues harmonica solo kind of tune. Like, so I think, was it Silver Train or whatever off Goat's Head yeah. Soup? Like, that's a good example of like just a very like, eh, but it's like that 
that kind of song shows up on every album, to then they flip a page at Black and Blue where now every single album has to have a shit ass <laughs> white dudes doing reggae cover. Do you th- okay, I'm going to check on Spotify right now. Do you think there's a Stones uh, uh, reggae playlist? Uh, oh, God, playlist? I hope so. I don't want to listen to it, but I want it to exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a playlist, baby. Hell, yeah. It's a long one, too. Where does Too Rude land on there? What track do they slot it in? Number three, I bet. It's the very last one. Oh, okay. Well, that yeah. works. That seems good. Uh, it also has uh, Keith Richards covering Pressure Drop Great. from his album Run, Rudolph, Run. Oh, sick. Pressure Drop. Is that a barometric reference to uh, the climate that brings about snow? I believe <laughs> this so, is a complicated. Yeah. This album's all about the weather. I love it. Run, Rudolph, uh, Run. The barometric pressure is dropping. Precipitation is coming. <laughs> the weatherman says... Or should I say, the weatherman says. <laughs> the weatherman say. Okay. Snow's coming to Jamaica. <laughs> I no, bet that, that is the level that that song is working on, honestly. Uh, oh. My God. Winning ugly. Uh, well, they're losing ugly. <laughs> There's certainly nothing they're winning. <laughs> no. It's a good thing that they bring the synths in because we're going to hear a lot of synths on Steel Wheels and I just I appreciate that they practiced before they really committed yeah. to a full album of sounding like Van Halen light. Yeah, it's uh it's a call forward for sure. <laughs> yeah. My thought about all of uh the next album is they did listen to Van Halen they're like that's pretty cool. Do we have it's... a piano guy? Oh, we don't. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just a bad song. Let's let's move it on. Yeah. I don't think we need to give this much time. The appropriately named Back to Zero. Yeah, that's we're on track seven, but we are really still at zero, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna confess, I'm not positive that I got past this song every time I tried to listen to this album this week. Like like I think I got through the whole thing, but I'm not positive that i listened to the whole of dirty work i uh i put this song on the uh speakers at work while i was working and i thought it was really (laughs) funny oh that's pretty great because like not only is it like who put on weird 80s music but who put on weird 80s music that literally none of us have ever heard before like you aren't even doing some like oh my god um yeah they put on like it's whoever gets to the speaker first, and everybody just puts on modern country music. And so sure. I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You guys got to listen to dirty work. <laughs> anyway, this song fucking blows. Next. Dirty this one, work. That one had a co-writing credit from Chuck Leavell, by the way. Oh. Yeah. He get, you could tell he brought that Allman Brothers touch to it. Yeah, that exactly. southern charm. Yeah, southern twang. So yeah, the titular dirty work. When was... Dirty Work by Steely Dan written. Oh, that was off their 1972 album, I want to say. I believe it. Um, Can't have a thrill or whatever. Can't buy a thrill. Why does anybody ever have a song that is the same title as another song that's just kind of yeah. referencing 
way better song. Yeah. You know? Like It's uh, a confusing thing, yeah. Like the Lumineers have a song called um Ho Hey. hey Ho Hey, yeah. Ho Hey uh, parentheses Hey Ho. Exactly. Um No, what the fuck is that song? Um Oh, they have a song called Ophelia, and it's like, oh, why, why would and you you're just... like, oh, they're covering Ophelia. That's cool. All right, kind of a modern Americana band covering like a classic tune. That's cool. I like that. And then it's uh, a different song that's much worse than. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a lot of songs that are much worse than Ophelia by the band because that song fucking rules. Uh, yeah. But just don't don't do a song that's not that good. It's a weird and then, choice. Like, yeah. Name it, you know, same thing as a really great song. Anyway, had it with you. I've had it. Yeah, we've had it with this album. Yeah, it's, they're just setting us up on they every really song. They really are. <laughs> Some of our classic. This one's like. Kind of seems like it might be good. It's not. I don't even care if this was like the greatest song the Stones have ever written. It is third from the last on a on an album where every other yeah. song track nine on Dirty Work. There's no hidden gem here. I don't care if it's fucking you know Sweet Virginia. Bad All right, song. let's let's sleep tonight. Do you know how long this song is, Peter? Uh, I know from Wikipedia, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's five minutes. Five minutes long. Yeah. And this is a... Is this Keith vocal? I think so. Yeah, they should stop giving Keith vocals at this point. So, and then the last track, Key to the Highway, was a hidden track on vinyl. It wasn't listed. Oh, um, okay. And this is an Ian Stewart piano this, song. This so is my favorite on song on the album. Yeah, they put it on here in honor of him yeah. dying. Yeah. It's the best song on the album. This one, Yeah, good. they're like, you won't get royalties from the first song that you're only on. Yeah. This is the only one I would go back to. You know? Oh, it's by far the best thing on the album. Okay, PJ, what do we want to rate Dirty Work? Um, I think, well, you went last last time. You went first last time, but that's a lost episode. I suppose I'll go first. This is I think, a wait, wait, wait. Three, two, one, one, one out, out of ten. 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, there's just literally nothing redeeming. No, so. this is a trash album. All right. So let's move on to Steel Wheels. Do you want to take a little break first, Pete? PJ, that is a fantastic idea. Uh, please play anything else except Too Rude for our break music. You know what? I'll put on the best track. Okay, all right. The best track on the album. Oh, yeah, there you go. And we'll be right back. You know what? This should be our we'll be right back music every time. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. And welcome back to the Rolling Stones studs. Hello. We're talking about the 80s because we're 80s kids. Both uh, of us. Um, hell You yeah. know. Only 80s kids remember 9-11. That's right. We were exactly 21 years old when it happened. Exactly. So, um, 
we're talking, you know, we just finished wrapping up dirty work, thank God, and now we're getting into Steel Wheels. Uh, but before we get to the album Steel Wheels, we have a little bit of catching up to do with the Rolling Stones. So, so after Dirty Work, they did not tour uh, a rarity for the Stones. Obviously, touring on right. an album is basically the entire reason they exist, um, um, or the entire reason the albums exist. They just is. didn't have, um, have enough to work yeah. with off this one? Yeah, I guess. Uh, so they went their separate ways for a bit. So Mick continued working on his solo career. He released Primitive Cool uh, and toured a bunch. Um, Bill uh, continued his relationship with an underage girl and opened a restaurant in London called Sticky Fingers. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Jesus we'll Christ. get into details about all of that with Bill. Uh, Ronald Donald went on tour with Bo Diddley, of all things whoa good for him yeah charlie started a like big band jazz band uh and then also Keith cool. also went on a little bit of a solo career jag and released talk is cheap that we talked a little bit about at the top of the episode so let's get to the important stuff first uh bill's restaurant <laughs> yeah is it a ribs restaurant jesus christ i hope it is sticky fingers it is wings my man ah same shit yeah yeah so burgers and wings it apparently since 1988 or so it was open until july 2021 when it closed due to the pandemic which is incredible that it was open that long yeah yeah especially i was expecting that bill does a little later well i was expecting it to just be closed like to not be able to find anything on it because i was assuming like bored rock rock star opens a restaurant in the late 80s it's probably open for like three years and then closes uh but no it was definitely open for yeah like 30 years or whatever so um do you think the name came first or oh, his love of chicken wings came first 1000 percent sticky fingers came first and Abs- then they were like absolutely we choose from the three sticky foods to serve <laughs> um peanut butter and then jelly it out, ribs yeah. or chicken yeah it worked out with the burgers and wings kind of vibe because it basically it looks like was just hard rock cafe but like a little more rolling Stones centric but yeah you know like just classic rock on the speakers a lot of rock memorabilia on the walls that kind of thing um sounds right yeah so but apparently it was pretty good since it was open until mid 2021 there's a lot of reviews online still uh some highlights i mean it doesn't have to be good because Hard Rock Cafe is still open, and that is garbage. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, a review from February 2020, the user Booble said, <laughs> Great if you love 80s decor. Hadn't been changed since it first opened. <laughs> Mirror tiles on the bathroom ceiling. Two wow. stars. <laughs> Holy shit. But of course, like, obviously. Yeah. A review from Kaiza. Waitress was absolutely stunning. Wanted to ask for her num, I assume short for number. I hope so. Uh, or a misspelling of name. Not sure. But was with dad I haven't seen in years. <laughs> <laughs> and they reconnected at sticky fingers. Full of emotions. <laughs> Food was meh, placed too loud, but service was incredible. Three stars. <laughs> oh. oh my God. I, that, yeah. Okay, so Sticky Fingers sounds like a great place that I wish I could have gone, but that's Do you right. think anybody went there not knowing that it was, like, <laughs> owned by Bill Wyman? 
Probably. I think so. There were a lot of, a weirdly large amount of reviews that were just into the idea that it was like American food, which I don't know a lot about London. It was in a London suburb, I think, called Kensington. Um, yeah, every other, every other um, place here in uh, Foggy Old London Town. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you're just a quick, you know, hop, skip, and jump it's away. It's just bangers and mash or uh, right. curry, which we've appropriated. Yeah. yeah. So it's just weird. Like, most of the reviews are like, great place to get an American burger. And you're like, is that, are burgers hard to find in London? That's odd that that's like such a hmm. apparently rare thing. Like, somewhat, like, people talk about going out of their way because it's like you can get just like American grill food, basically, which here you can get literally anywhere every Any, mexican restaurant in america yeah. has burgers on the menu yeah <laughs> not every single one but pretty more much than you think yeah <laughs> um okay so some more bill news let's get to the important stuff with bill he got married oh, uh, to an 18 year old in 1989 he married a woman named mandy smith who was 18 when they got married bill was 52 of course he was uh, in case you were worried about the age gap, they'd been together for about five years already and had started having sex when she was 14. So, yep. 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 No worries there. Sounds like he had it all covered. See, I thought that um, was, I thought that was later, but yeah, yikes. 1989 brother. Uh, well, starting in 1984, of course, uh, yeah. when he started being romantically interested in a 13 year old, cause who's not. Yeah. They bonded um, over the new Van Halen album. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. They were both like jump, right? Jump. Yeah. Um, she also, dude, when she was dating Bill, he somehow finagled a, uh, an album deal with her or for her. So she had a very short lived career as a teen pop singer and she had a 1988 wow. album just called Mandy. <laughs> uh, so their marriage only lasted 23 months. Of course. Because it did. Mandy, apparently after they got married, started having some serious health issues um, to the point where she only weighed 80 pounds at a certain point after they were married. Yeah. And Bill was very unhappy that she was sick so much and wasn't the hot 18-year-old he was fucking before. Uh, and so they split up pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and then got divorced, yeah. Well, do you think she, you know, got diseases like, I don't know, SIDS or... Um, <laughs> other possibly. baby diseases? Yeah, possibly that one. Yeah. Um, she blamed it, apparently. This is... I obviously don't know that much about birth control, but this one feels weird to me. She blames it on the fact that she was taking birth control since she was 14, which maybe birth control was different in the 80s as someone who has, you know, dated women in his life. I don't think that's that young to start birth control, but maybe the pills were different and affected you more or something. I don't know. So... Um, but she blamed it on that. Um, and I guess, you know, I mean, she, she's still alive today, so she got over it. Thankfully, or she got healthy. Uh, Um, well, she grew into an adult and then, you know, it all worked. Right. Yeah. The just incredible coda on this story is that in 1993, Bill's son married Mandy's mom. Oh, They're about the same age, though. No joke. Uh, no, Bill's son was 30. Mandy's mom was 46 at the time. So ah. still a bit of an age gap. Not and as bad think, as... Uh, yeah, yeah. They were only together for like three or four years or something. But that is a true what the fuck moment. I mean, obviously, Bill is hella canceled. 
yeah. uh, for even, I mean, and especially, I mean, it was, look, folks, the 80s were a different time in terms of what was acceptable, yeah. but I cannot imagine anyone thought it was really acceptable for him to be having sex with a fucking 14-year-old when he was, like, 46 or whatever he would have yeah. been. That is insane and very not okay so it's a good thing bill retires pretty quickly so we can forget he fucking exists although part of me wishes he was around so we could just keep poking fun at him but whatever yeah what a fucking dirtbag um yeah that's awful and also just the fact that like bill as far as i know is still just like a you know oh bill yeah the guy from the stones sure he can come to this rolling stone magazine not the band party you know like he has not had to face consequences in any way for being a child right. molester. Well, and his so. fucking restaurant was open until a year ago. Yeah, right. And just like no one gave a fuck. So yeah, I, and people still you know. buy his metal detectors. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, damn shame. Damn shame. Yeah. So Bill does leave the band after this album, and then their tour. They do tour after this album. Thank God they make some fucking money for once. I know. Um, which <laughs> just they stop off yeah. the sticky fingers, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, they officially announced he leaves in '93, but he apparently kind of quit whenever their tour was done. So that would have been more like '90 or '91. Um, yeah. and according to Bill, he was just done, done with the whole cycle of recording, rehearsing, and touring, and all that. So, yeah, he needed time it. to go spend with his wife. Wait, never mind. Um, so. Uh, Steel Wheels. Um, it is kind of the Stones' comeback album. I mean, I guess their first comeback album since Some Girls. I don't know if I don't think people viewed Tattoo You as any sort of a comeback, but no, I won't. um. So because musically, at least, it's a little bit more of like just a straight up rock record. Um, although definitely not like classic Stones rock. It's still no. very much influenced by the times. Um. And then also was a somewhat temporary patching together of Mick and Keith's relationship after uh, the rough days of the 80s. The um, they they kind of go off and on later in the 90s, but I think here and then the next couple albums, they're, they're on speaking terms and working together and stuff. So You know, the thing about the Stones during this era is that everything they're doing is boring, including their, like, little tiffs like yeah the spat is not nearly as like interesting as it should be no really it's like, just like mick's or keith's annoyed that mick has the goal to think that he could be a pop singer and then mick's annoyed that keith has the goal to insist that he still be the lead singer of the band he helped start yeah <laughs> basically is what it seems like it boils down to unless i'm missing significant things but like the Beach Boys had such a good spat, you know. Other yeah. bands, to- so many other bands have great spats, and this mm-hmm. one is just like fucking boring. Yeah. Um. What was interesting, kind of actually, about them patching it up though for Steel Wheels is that Keith's album came out in '88, his solo album, and his like press cycle for that was a lot of interviews with just him and a lot of interviews where he did not hold back in terms of talking about Mick, talking about why he was mad at Mick, all that kind of stuff. And so for some reason or another, it did not make it worse. It actually somehow made it better. Um, hmm. Yeah, it turns out talking about your feelings helps. Um, here's I don't a quote believe it. I'm from, a man. 
Here's a quote from one of his interviews. I still have lots of reservations about Mick, but I think that's something we all go through as people. I've <laughs> Everyone in the world always at one point has a reservation about Mick Jagger. Yeah, they're like, you know what? It's just like puberty. Yeah, fuck Mick Jagger today, actually. Yeah. It lasts for a few weeks, and then you get over it. Yeah. Uh, I've known him for 40 years, and our fights are on many different levels, not just about who runs the stones. It's more to do with knowing somebody for so long, and you get to a point where you think a mate of yours is screwing up, and you try to tell him because that's what friends are for. Because everybody else says, yes, Mick, yes, so many times. It's the lead vocalist syndrome. It goes with the job. You think you're divine out there. Divine when you come off stage and in the limousine and on the plane. Eventually you think you're divine, period. So that's one of the things we have to get through. He said divine way too many times. Huh? Mick has always perceived this thing as a power struggle, but it's not like that. But it's very hard to convince somebody there isn't a power struggle if they perceive there is one. <laughs> so you're, it, it is an incredibly lame fight. Like it's yeah. For being like the stuff of legends that like they wouldn't even speak to each other or show up in the studio at the same time yeah. just boiled down to that kind of stuff um so they got back together to hang out just the two of them mick and keith in 88 uh to write some songs and turned out a few dozen in a few weeks um and then they also before working on steel wheels they planned they like officially planned and scheduled a tour um so that the album would be released and the tour tour would start concurrently uh, this mm-hmm. time, so that there was no chance of them not touring. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, here's one more. Here's one more quote from Keith, which is really great um, about them, about he and Keith hanging out again. Uh, they met. I forget where. Uh, I don't have it written down. They met in some like you know random city to just like hang out in a hotel for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, within two days, we realized we had five or six songs happening, Keith later recalled. I did have to take Mick to a few discos, which are not my favorite places in the world, because <laughs> Mick likes to go out and dance at night. So I did that. That was my sacrifice. I humored him, and that's when I knew we could work together. Which is kind of sweet. Yeah, that is sweet. <laughs> which I just love Mick tearing it up on the dance floor, and Keith's just like hella bored sitting in a corner drinking an entire bottle of whiskey by himself. And the bartender's it's, just like, are you sure? Are you okay, man? Do I need... And he's like, nope, nope, I'm good. Just waiting for that guy. It's like when those super unhappy couples you see out at the bar where yeah. the guy is just like <laughs> sitting there hating his life and then yeah. uh, the girl's like, no, come on. Yeah. It's exactly like that. Also... And then I, at some point, Mick starts... <laughs> no, just at some point, Mick starts dancing with another guitar player. <laughs> and, then, and then Keith gets mad and goes out to the dance floor and starts shoving and then they just both get kicked out. And then on the street, they drunkenly confess their love for each other, and yeah. it all works out in the end. Yeah. yeah. Clapton's in there cutting a rug with Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Steel Wheels, uh, which actually I need to double check. The name of their tour was not the Steel Wheels tour. It was something else. What was it called? Yes, it was called the Urban Jungle Tour. Why? Um, This was, like, by far their biggest tour to date, and this has been done i mean they've always been big on touring like in whenever get your yaya's out like that was a huge tour that like first tour of america after altamont and for the time it was a massive tour um it wasn't like they were doing anything uh like technically amazing but they were playing you know full-on arenas in 1971 or whatever which was a pretty big deal at the time um and then like tattoo you at a massive tour so them you know upping the ante for their tours is not rare 
Uh, but I think it is like somewhat agreed upon urban jungle really started the idea of like the modern stones tour where they do these massive like year to two year long tours yeah around the world they've got a whole stage production it's all planned before the album comes out like it just starts their like touring machine uh in in progress more than more than they'd done before for sure Uh, it was to give you an idea it was twice the urban jungle tour was twice as long as any previous tour that they'd done so they really went for it and now i mean obviously they basically live on tour right now yeah well and i know after this uh i think that the tour maybe there's a tour in between but they do the voodoo lounge tour which was like three (laughs) years long yeah that one was insane like yeah they definitely lean into touring at this point in their career yeah that Um, that I guess we can talk about it on that episode, but yeah, that's right, PJ. We Sorry, I don't mean to jump the gun. So, Steel Wheels uh, came out in August of 1989. Uh, it's the first digital recording in the Stones catalog. Ooh. Interesting. I feel like the Beach Boys were there earlier. Wasn't their first yeah, one like '86 or '87? They were like one of the first bands to. I think that was the thing. They were the first like popular band to record on Pro Tools. This once again. Maybe we need to edit this out, but I'm going to go into Beach Boys Boys and do a little control F searching and see if I can find out when that was. Because I know we talked about it and I am curious whether. Summer in Paradise. Thank you, PJ. That was released in 1992. Oh, but it was the first one with of Pro Tools specifically. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. They were the first people to use Pro Tools, but yeah, I do kind of wonder whether they. Yeah, I don't know. Who the fuck knows? All right. Um. And then Steel Wheels, a a little more stripped back in terms of guest musicians. They have a lot of guest musicians credited, but it's a lot of people just brought in because they wanted like a mandolin on this song or a saxophone solo on this song. Um, they don't have a lot of people like hanging out. Uh, Chuck Leavell shows up again. Um, but more of like a you know this is actually the rolling stones as a band album compared to dirty work right and uh let's see steel wheels went to number three in the u.s and number one in the uk and i believe the first single was mixed emotions yeah the lead single was mixed emotions uh as we know because it's on gur uh it went number five in the u.s and number 36 in the uk Still talking. How are they still charting? How? Yeah. Well, you want to bust through this track by track? (laughs) Sad, sad, sad. Okay, good start. This is cool. Yeah. It's like, it's got a bit of 80s echo happening, but generally sounds good so far. Yeah, it's fine. This one is better than any other song on on um, Dirty Work. Yeah. Like, already. Oh, yeah. By Miles. Um, speaking of, uh, well, not speaking of anything, but a bit we have not done in a while, Peter. Yeah. Is, and I don't think we even have a name for it for Rolling Stone studs, 
for Beach Boys, it was, uh, what are you chugging? And then we would play chug oh, yeah. Let's sure, call this yeah, one we haven't done that with Rolling Loving Stone. Cup. What's sure, Loving Cup. Loving That's cup? perfect. Today in my Loving Cup is a beautiful Coors Banquet still left over from my wedding. Ah, oh, still going that through that, that wedding beer, yeah. I am also drinking a Coors Banquet. Fantastic. Well, that's a weird yeah. can. It's very big. Oh, got it. It's a it's a tall boy. It's a nice. Let's see. It's like I one got of those twenty ounce tall boys. Yeah, looks I like got maybe. Yeah. Very drunk. Twenty four fluid ounces. Nice. Um, I got very drunk on Coors at your wedding. Oh, nice. That's good. That's good. That's a good way to do it, PJ. It's a good time. Next song. Mixed emotions. <laughs> I mean, already with these two songs, better album than the Dirty One. Yeah. And then, like, but here's the thing. When I listen through these first two songs, I'm like, but there's just something off that I can't quite put my finger on that I'm like, this just isn't that great, though. I and mean, I it's... think once we get to the chorus here, it might become clear. Would you say you have mixed emotions about it? I do, yeah. A surprisingly like loud Keith backing vocal. Usually he's a little more mixed down. Yeah. But I was instantly like, oh, that's Keith. It's crazy. Do you think? I think what seems off about it is usually when they do a song like this, the chorus is a fucking bop. But yeah. the verses to this song are far better than the chorus. Oh, I don't hate the chorus. It's definitely not like super catchy, but it got stuck in my head a little bit. If that helps. I think the verses are better, though. Like, I'm more interested in what's happening musically in the verses than in the chorus. Are we hearing the synthesizer yet? It's a little muddy on my end. No, I don't think so. For some reason, I thought that kicked in. I like that. It goes on for way too long, yeah. and I like. Oh, hey, they stole a line from, or a vocal line from, or, or a, sorry, goddammit. Hey, they stole a melody line from Tattoo You. <laughs> from a, you make a grown man cry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guitar I, I think is- it's. It's just the production. Itself. It's just like got a general like weird sound to it that is like again very 80s, but not like a cliche 80s sound. No, so it's it's because I think everybody forgot how to produce things in the 80s if they weren't like very 80s or yeah. very like hair metal, you know. Yeah. And this is neither of those. Yeah. Like this song would probably be pretty good if it was recorded like their like 70s stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But instead it sounds, I mean, it is definitely echoey in 80s. Like, it sounds like they're playing in, like, an empty arena kind of yeah. sound, you know. So they've got that going on. Uh, we could we could head to Terrifying, although, you know, I don't Ooh, think it's scary spooky. the way they meant it. It's October, and... The 
The bass really sucks on this. Yeah. That's fair. And the noodly, like, thin guitar. Yeah. Awful. Yeah, they brought this, it back. This song is really terrible. It's really, yeah. The idea um, of them making this third on their, like, big comeback album. Yeah, it's pretty outrageous. Um, the noodly guitar on this sounds a lot like Clapton during this era, which is like, mm, yeah. I don't... We've both talked about how Eric Clapton we don't like, but particularly this era, Eric Clapton, it's like the worst shit you've ever heard. Yeah. And the guitar sounds like that. Yeah. Something that I really noticed on this album and a little bit more on Dirty Work, too, is that for having two guitar players, it really sounds like there's just one guitar playing at any time. <laughs> yeah. It's really crazy. It's like yeah. they are not playing together hardly at all. Like, what's the point of having gotten ronnie yeah. donnie in there you know it's because i mean we've talked about it like they've had some great dual guitar work especially like some yeah. girls and emotional rescue they had like some really cool songs where they were both playing at the same time and then here it's like they just Barely have to go noticeable. back and forth i guess yeah yeah i'm not sure this song goes anywhere from here it does <laughs> this might be it next I think Hold this song is when it starts getting into the... Oh, they clearly have been listening to a lot of hair metal recently. <laughs> yeah, they try to do that guitar, but they can't do it. It's so bad, man. And then they also bring the synthesizer in, I believe, yeah. on this song a lot. Right. And, like, they're, like, three or four years too late on, like, yeah. the height of hair metal. Yeah. He can't help but do a fucking Chuck Berry thing, even when he's, yeah. like, trying right. to shred. Well, PJ, don't you know, Chuck Berry was influenced by the greatest hair metal guitarist of all time. Bo Diddley. Michael J. Fox. <laughs> it took me that long to remember yeah. Michael J. Fox's name. This song's very, very awful. <laughs> Just all of the shit guitar wailing, man. They're not good at it. Like, it's like he got his first like overdrive pedal today. Yeah, they they like they heard of Steve Vai and they were like, we could do that. They can't. They can't do that. No. Next, hearts for sale. Hearts for sale. <laughs> Such a great title for a song. This is the Van Halen one that they were like, how could we try to do Van Halen, but far worse? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was something I kind of liked about this song, but not the guitar tone. <laughs> or the vocal. <laughs> no. No, Pete, this song is just bad. I don't... Let's at least get through the chorus. I kind of like this. The pre-chorus is some... That's the most redeeming guitar work they've done. <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> Once again, doing the Rolling Stone songwriting method of let's just make the title of the song something we kind of chant during the chorus. Yeah. There's no melody. It's just us like saying it. Yeah. All right. Blinded by love. Get the yeah, fuck dude, out of here. Fuck this. Oh, a ballad. Oh. This is promising. Yeah, just wait 10 seconds. There's at least not that shit guitar wailing happening. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Why would they write this song in a register too low for him to sing? Yeah. I don't know. Once again, it's like, guys, you can control this. If it's too low for you, kick it up a half register, man. Like... <laughs> That might be one of the worst vocal lines yeah. we've heard from Mick yet, is the whoa, 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 whoa. Like, he's supposed to go lower and then cannot do it. <laughs> like, what were they listening to at this point? Where they were like, no, but I think they think it's so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, Jim, 80s Jimmy Buffett, maybe? Yeah, like, yeah. By the way, this, and then I can't remember the other one. I think it's Almost Here You Sigh, maybe. I don't know. This and the other ballad were, like, called out in reviews for being, like, the high points of the album. Wow. So the rest of the album must be really bad. Yeah. I mean, when I was listening to it, I heard this, and I was like, oh, no. These are the people who wrote Sweet Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> they can write a goddamn ballad. They know how. They've they done like four of, of the greatest, greatest ballads ones, of all time. Yeah, yeah. They wrote like six of the greatest rock ballads of all time. And then also Blinded by Love. Blinded by the Light. Yeah. By, by, by Love. Sorry. Uh, fucking A, man. Like, this is when I was like listening through the album where I was like, we're at this point in the album. Because it sounds different. Yeah. But not in a good way. So... Let's give a shot to Rock and Hard Place. Oh, okay. oh, they're back to Hard Rock. All right, got it. And this actually is the world record for being the stupidest name for a rock song. So. <laughs> I gotta say, this one's not the worst. <laughs> it's not good, but no. I think I just like that. Yeah. But once again, it's like just one guitar player. Where's is yeah. the other one just napping? <laughs> yeah. That's just why they bought extra large guitar time. cases so that yeah. they could be in the studio and be like, oh, I have an idea. No, the song's actually really stupid. Wow. Listen to that melody. You're between a rock and a hard, hard place. place. What a melody. What a songwriting clinic from the Stones. There's still only one guitar playing. It's yeah. like the rhythm drops out there. The fuck? Um, yeah, there's no... It is. It literally is only one guitar player doing this whole song, unless they're going yeah. back and forth, which is just sad. <laughs> yeah. Back and forth the, with the yeah, exact Ron's same Yeah, Ron's like, tone. look, I got, the, I got the verse, Keith. Don't worry about it, man. You can just chill. <laughs> um... No, the only redeeming thing is the yeah, and then everything yeah, else. Yeah, the little post-chorus so lick is kind of nice, but yeah, not nearly enough to make this a listenable song. No, not at all. I don't even like the horns. 
And you know, the I fact like that horns. they got backup singers to show up for this is Impressive. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next. <laughs> Can't be seen. Hopefully, I wish it couldn't be heard. I... <laughs> oh, God, this is. I actually, all jokes aside, I kind of like this song. Like, I definitely, it's definitely not good. But I kind of like the the melody, I gotta say. It's one of the better ones on the album. But if once it just again, wasn't the quit 80s letting schlock Keith rock sing. guitar. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like him on this. I'm over mixed voice at this point. Nick I'm over mixed voice. Not yes. trying anymore. I so don't like Keith voice it. either, though. Yeah. But, like, this song could work in a different context, I think. I think so, too. If it was, no. like, if it had a different singer that wasn't Mick. <laughs> if almost if it... everything about it was different, it would yeah. probably be good. <laughs> Which is a compliment for this album. Honestly, if David Lee Roth was singing this song, I'd be like, huh? this song kicks ass. Yeah. This is maybe the most schlocky one on this album. Yeah. But they're kind of making it work. Actually, I wonder... No. What were you wondering? I was wondering if Ronald Donald sang lead at all on this album. It seems like the type of album he would, but no. Yeah. He's actually only allowed to sing backing vocals on one song. Huh. That's rough. Well, have you heard his solo stuff? I mean... <laughs> uh, let's move on. I can almost hear you sigh, Peter. <laughs> it's a lot of people doing that, yeah. Oh, yeah, this one. No, this one. Yeah. This song sucks. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> they played this at every show of the 1990 Urban Jungle Tour. Why? Why this one? You have to give people a chance to go to the bathroom. It's true. Yeah. They, they would have to play, like, ten good songs, do this one as, like, right. a, you know, quarter-way intermission. Sure. Play some good songs, real intermission, and yep. then, you know. Yeah, this song sucks. Hard pass. Continental Drift. This song, maybe the most interesting about this album, uh, this song features the master musicians of Jujuka, uh, oh. a Moroccan group that Brian Jones had recorded in 1968 for an album. So they were calling on what we can inarguably say are better days, the Brian Jones days. Yeah. So so did they take these recordings from then? No, I think they got them in the studio now. They got them in okay. Yeah, I guess someone in the group learned the synthesizer too. That's one of that's a classic Moroccan <laughs> traditional instrument. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's bad. Mick doing the hi hi shit is. Whew. It's almost more offensive than their reggae songs, which is saying Almost. Something. Maybe. Uh, yeah. It's close. <laughs> it's, it's on par. Fucking A, dude. This is a rough one. He, like, went to the Middle East, and he was like, I really like when they do that ah, ah, ah thing. Yeah. And then. What if I did it? Yeah. What if a white British guy did it? Huh? With, a th- with already a th- super thin voice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What if a white guy with no range did it? Yeah. This is one of those albums. I barely made it through Dirty Work. This is one of those albums that I made it all the way through, but like with about 45 seconds left in each song, I was like, thank God this is almost over. Skip. I'm done. Yeah. Like I just couldn't make it all the way through any of these songs. So maybe the last 45 seconds of of every single one is great. Yeah. Break the spell. Break the spell. Hey, kind of a bluesy tune. He's too old to do this. <laughs> what is he, 50 now? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like he's trying to sound like Tom Waits. He got inspired during that last yeah. <laughs> album. When he was hanging out in the studio. This is Mick playing the harmonica. Huh. He's back to his old uh, harp I'm surprised he remembered how. It's been probably like a decade since he's picked that thing up, right? Or maybe more since 1979. Like, yeah. It's possible it's been longer than that. This this song sounds like it is from a movie where they're like down in Louisiana and they're like, there's like two guys across the street from each other busking and they start like getting into a thing together. Yeah. And it'd be really good for that, but not for a Stones album. No, this actually rules. The harmonica solo is good. The rest of yeah. the song is is bad. It it should be good. Like it it I feel like it's almost there to being like a pretty classic like good Rolling Stones song, but it's if just If they not. had made it 10 years earlier, absolutely. Yeah. And if he wasn't doing the shitty like whisper growl vocals in the cor- or in the verse yeah. is really bad. Yeah. Where he's trying to sound like Howlin' Wolf or somebody. Yeah, you know? it's it's not good. But this song has good bones. <laughs> I agree with that, yeah. And slipping away. All right. Finally, where did the last song here? I know, it took fucking an This album was 53 minutes long for only 12 songs. That's rough. And then this is where they were like, oh, we shouldn't have let Keith do this, huh? Yeah. Like, I'm glad they're changing it up from Mick all the time. Is Keith yeah. doing the song the right choice? All right, PJ, what do you want to rate, rank, or rate Steel Wheels? 
Should we do this one in unison again? Yes. Three, Three two, two, one. one two. two out of ten. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's vaguely better than Dirty Work, but not good in any way, shape, or no, form. No, I mean, it. I, I would say it's like refreshing to listen to that after Dirty Work. It's not, though. It's like still bad. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely still bad. Here's the thing. If they just didn't lean into the like 80s schlock rock thing, I think it could have been pretty good. Um, it, it at least would have been a lot more listenable. But every it, time they just start trying to wail around on guitar, it is yeah. awful. Yeah, they, they don't... It's like they kind of lost their sense of like... I don't know. How to do a good solo, which is crazy because it's the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones have not written an unequivocally great song in what 11 years now since some girls they haven't even written maybe potentially they haven't even written a good song in 11 emotional rescue i don't like emotional rescue but i could uh, fine sure i guess start me up is good but start me up was also a takeout from like goat's head soup right that they just changed the words to something Something like that that. you don't like the song emotional rescue no Oh, I think it's great. Uh, Beast of Burden was on... Oh, that was Some Girls. Some Girls, yeah. I think their best piece of music and then in if the last you don't 11 years has girls. been. Yeah, but then if you don't count Some Girls, it's since Goat's Head Soup was like the last album they released with anything decent on it. That's is... true, yeah. And they're still churning them out. And what's wild about reading reviews of the time from like Rolling Stone or Village Voice or anything is that people at the time were still like, could this be the next exile? No, it's not, but it's it's okay. (laughs) You know, like that's, and it's just wild with hindsight that anyone in 1989 was still waiting around for like the Rolling Stones could still have a classic up their sleeves. But it's like, did any band who's been around this long, like has any band released, I guess some, maybe newer bands, but I don't know if any like 60s bands that lasted through the 80s released like, some of their best or like stuff equal to their best music in the 80s or 90s i don't yeah um that's a good point i mean the kinks were around for a long time the kinks like a jefferson airplane the beach boys um i'm gonna say the closest one to that's still releasing like pretty great music in the 80s is the kinks i think yeah you know they're just good yeah like the beach boys had a couple good songs in the 80s like that i would say were were up there with their like not pet sounds stuff you know but like their other good stuff from the 60s and 70s um yeah but but like a couple songs yeah nothing on the order of a whole album or anything right well and what sunflower came out in 70 so I'm just trying to think of what my favorite thing after Pet Sounds was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sunflower. Wild Honey, Love You, but Love You is Wild Honey. Really. Sorry, that's what I meant. Wild Honey, not Sunflower. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, disappointing for them at the time. Good for us now that we just know it's ass. Yeah. Um, although, again, like, <laughs> these albums, like, every, almost every one of these albums has its fans and people saying, like, this is actually a pretty good late era Stones album. So every time we listen to them, Emotional Rescue, Tattoo You, even Undercover and like Steel Wheels. I don't think Dirty Work has many defenders, but no. every time I'm like a little bit hopeful that it's going to like this could be the Love You again is an anomaly because it's actually 
incredible, but it's like, this could actually be like a, you know, secret favorite. Like I really liked the 85 beach boys album. Yeah. Almost, almost as a whole, like at least half of it was really good. So I keep waiting for that with the stones, but it is a, it's a dark downward path we're on. Yeah. Well, so I have to be honest, I've never listened to voodoo lounge. A lot okay. of people love yes, Lounge. Yes, this though. is, yeah, that's, I think that's the one we have left that, like, is supposed to be pretty darn good. And so we will see what we think. Yeah. But, yeah, the Stones, here's the thing with the Stones. They just, they haven't done anything, again, for me, like, out and out redeeming in 11 years at this point, like, yeah. six albums. And I'm just, I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired of the Stones. I'm tired yeah. of them being like, eh, fine. I'm tired of mixed fucking voice. True. All of yeah. it. Like, there's just nothing. Feels like there's not a lot to live for with the Stones anymore. And if we weren't four albums away from the end, I'd be reconsidering whether we were going to finish. But yeah. Um, maybe next time we should do, you know, somebody that switches up vocals. Let's do Pink Floyd. Let's do. Van it honestly Halen. helps like yeah. i i've realized like listening I mean, especially with the beach, to the beach boys, boys too yeah. i mean it's also a little different just because mick he has such a distinct voice and part of its distinctiveness is that it's not a great voice and he also doesn't have a lot of range and it's like so that just gets old fast when there, he's not especially when he's not trying very hard yeah there are some points where his range is great i'm gonna say yeah Late when 60s. he does that shitty falsetto on that song Emotional Rescue You Love? No. That's a great song, first off. Uh, no, but like late 60s to mid 70s, his range was decent. Yeah. And I think it's because he like cared about it and was like trying Probably. and they weren't just taking the first take. He just doesn't give a shit after that, though. No. So like now his range is the fucking Mick range. <sighs> well. Well. That's it. We're done with the 80s. We only have two decades left of the Rolling Stones. Which is like four albums. Well, technically three decades, because I think they released an album in like 2012. So maybe we God, that's why God made the radio that shit and do not talk Just about it. don't talk about it. No. I mean, we did get an email from somebody that was talking about how they wanted us to do it because it's their favorite Beach Boys album. Pardon? Was it Jake Iverson under a pseudonym? <laughs> no, it was not. It was, uh, okay. maybe it was. Uh, yeah. The name is Ike Javerson, so I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, t- totally. Oh, yeah, different. Yeah. All right, Pete. Well, All right, well, thanks for joining us on this journey. We're, thank God we're almost done. And I'll see you on the other side of that stone. <laughs> Great, PJ. A Beach Boys Boys production.